It's such a privilege to be here with you this morning and share some thoughts and journey with you. I know over the last few weeks you've been thinking about intimacy with Jesus and today I want to share with you how that in turn is an essential starting point for responding to pain in the world. There'll be quite a few of you who won't know me and some of you who will. I've been a part of the vineyard for the last 12 years and this last year or so I've been taking some time out from ministry and resting and really a lot of what I'll share with you today is from a personal journey from being on the front lines of being just face to face with a lot of pain in the world and what I've learned over the last decade or so a lot of it from members of this church who love just with an, an extraordinary love if you can imagine a seesaw with activism on one side and being with Jesus on the other it's really easy for that seesaw to unbalance. And today I want to explore how we can sustain a life of love and service to others over the long haul without becoming cynical or bitter or overwhelmed. Because there are many things that can pull us out of kilter, be it doubt, the depth of suffering that we see, our own ability to cope, our fears of what could happen, the impact on our lives, what the sacrifice is or might be asked of us amongst other things. And in this season of the pandemic, where there is just so much happening, so much unknown, the question, a phrase borrowed from the Franciscan friar Richard Raw, is how do we dance while standing still? How do we dance the dance of love into a world rocked by pain by remaining rooted and centered in God? And this is a question I've been asking for years because it's been at the center of my own life and choices. My work now with Safe Families over the last couple of years has come from a decade of being in the rushing torrent of river of suffering with people and a deep hope to be able to prevent some of the outcomes that I've seen. But just to form a picture for you this morning so you just know how deep this question goes for me, I joined this church family about 12 years ago and almost immediately was called and absorbed into working with people battling drug dependency and the lifestyles and the situations that go with that. A few years later, with a couple of friends, we birthed the missional community in Boscombe, which started with number 10. And that's, I handed that over last year. But in that time, there isn't much that I haven't seen. And I've held women who were sex workers moments after they've been raped, sobbing in my arms. I've been there with some of those women as they've taken a pregnancy test and discovered they were pregnant by a punter. I've been there when they've given birth. I've sat with countless men and women at the very end of themselves, lives ravaged by addiction, just tormented and heartbroken. I've kept letters safe from adoptive parents to a homeless birth mother who used number 10 as her safe address. I've lost so many friends to addiction that I've actually lost count. And I've watched teenagers who were clean with their lives ahead of them head down that road and are still deeply in it 10 years on. I've been friends with women sold into slavery by their own mothers aged 12, unable to escape the drip of, grip of trauma only to die in their 40s, still ravaged by pain. And I've seen beautiful things too, and lives transformed and healed, but I've seen a lot that hasn't as well. So the question about how to dance while standing still is still very raw one for me. Because when you're that close to pain, it can't not affect you. And I've had sleepless nights, bouts of depression, unending doubt, just groans of the spirit where I don't have words to pray anymore. And after 12 years, I have no answers, only more questions. 
and there's a phrase adapted from the book of Micah which keeps me hanging on and it says don't be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief do justly now love mercy now walk humbly now you're not obligated to complete the work but neither are you free to abandon it so how do we keep going for all of us to a greater or lesser degree, we will all be faced with this question because a rich invitation of our faith as I look at the Bible alongside prayer and worship, community, meeting together, is to be hope and love to those who are oppressed because it's mentioned over 2,000 times in the scripture. Kat, our CEO at Safe Family, says her dream is that we would all be in relationship with at least one person facing injustice. To be sided with those who are facing injustice, grief and pain in some way, shape or form, whether it's a parent at the school gate going through a divorce or an isolated family in the community, a friend whose loved one has passed away, work colleagues just silently battling mental health struggles, it's all around us if we'll have eyes to see it. To show up to the pain of the world on the one hand is to be ever so present in real and tangible, honest, humble ways, which requires from us a deep vulnerability and often sacrifice. And the other hand, not to lose ourselves in the process. And how do we carry the presence of love into the world? Not as something that we do to people. We don't love on people, which is a phrase I hear often, because we are love, we're becoming love. The one who is love lives inside of us. It comes from the depths of who we are. It isn't something that we manufacture, create, do a course on and just drop a formula onto people because people are far too important. There's too much variety, too much experience and journey. And Jesus, just perhaps disappointingly, gives no abstract theory for social justice. Instead, he makes his life a concrete parable of how to live in the world. And you know why Jesus, I think, had to come as a human? It's because we never would have got love otherwise. As humans, we naturally want the easy route out. We want the quick fix, the win, the story, the romance. But real love is really gritty and painful and sacrificial and requires more of us than sometimes we think we can give. And it hurts and it can be messy. But it's also really sneaky because there's a fine and often delicate, obscure line between love that meets a need within ourselves, that makes us the hero, makes us the saviors, the rescuers that doesn't give dignity of choice. Love that says this all depends on me and then real love. And that line is often so blurry. And if we aren't careful in wanting to make love neat and easier because pain is messy and hard, we can inadvertently become unsafe spaces for those who are experiencing significant challenge. And I think Jesus calls us into the pain of the world, not just to be helpful to it, but ourselves to be transformed. Thomas Merton, the Catholic monk, says that the two great cauldrons of transformation are great love and great suffering. There is nothing that brings to light our own stuff more than being faced with pain in ourselves and in others. But by taking an inward path with Jesus into it, by wrestling those things through, by going deep with them, we become more able to be with ourselves, with Jesus, and we become more able to be with and for others. Ephesians 3 verse 17 sums it up beautifully by saying, then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. This isn't about introspection. Uh, I've heard it leveraged at contemplation over the years that it's just a navel gazing process where we become obsessed with self. 
But when we embrace the path, it can't not lead to a life of love if we allow Jesus in the process to transform us. Because the truth is that we all leak. We leak what's inside us. And oftentimes we aren't prepared to explore what's deep inside us because it's painful, because we have to become very real with ourselves before we can be real with the world. Authentic love is not possible without true inner freedom. Nor will love be real or tested unless somehow we live close to the disadvantage, who frankly, in my experience, teach us how little we know about love. Love is the goal. Contemplative practice and solidarity with suffering are the path. Contemplative practice, it just settles our busy minds. It holds up a mirror, creates the space where we allow the greatest of all counselors who knows us better than we know ourselves to form us and to shape us. Because what the world needs is wounded healers, which is who we are. Contemplation isn't necessarily about sitting in a room in silence trying to concentrate. It's an invitation. It's hard work. It's to know ourselves through the eyes of God who dwells inside us. Just think for a moment when you have felt the most seen, the most heard and the most known. And I bet it was because that person didn't have easy answers for you, but they were with you. They held space for you and they were just unshockable. You could be completely vulnerable, open and know that you were wholly accepted and loved. You weren't rushed, you weren't coerced, you weren't manipulated, you were just loved. But I tell you that likely those people have done a deep inner work themselves to be able to hold the space for those around them. In Proverbs 4, the writer says, My child, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Don't let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows from it. These verses are powerful in helping us to center our lives. I don't have time this morning to go into some of the contemplative practices, but honestly, a quick Google search, um, some helpful terms would be to look at the examine and the Lectio Divina. It's just a good starting point in helping us to take the written words of scripture and to hear Jesus's living word leap through the page to us. And it just creates space for the Holy Spirit to ask us questions that lead us to life. The writer of Proverbs encourages us to guard our hearts and I find this word guard fascinating because it means on the one hand to protect and I imagine President Biden's security service who don't let him out of their sight lest there be an assassination attempt but it also means to protect others like a prison guard would to stop a dangerous prisoner running amok and we have to do both when it comes to our own hearts. We have to be really firm about guarding our hearts from the things that would take us out absolutely but also to protect others from the unchecked, unacknowledged, unhealed parts of ourselves, that if we allow to run amok, can do damage to others, even without us realizing. Contemplation is a journey into recognizing those things, because as I said before, like authentic love isn't possible without true inner freedom. To be able to recognize and come to accept all of ourselves, the light and shadow sides is a significant step on the journey. We will always be a work in progress. And this is not about becoming perfect. It's about recognizing the impact for good and for negative that we can have. 
in the summer when we could, some friends and I went down to the far reaches of Cornwall where it was wild and beautiful. And there's a place not far from where we were staying in Land's End called the Song of the Sea Cave. Um, and we decided one day to go, and, to go and find it. And it's off the beaten track. It's really not easy to find. It's barely on a map, but it's this magical cave where when the tide goes out, there are these plunge pools where the sea is azure blue and it's just spectacular. But we had to walk there. And as we were walking, we kept asking people if we were close. And the reply that we got was, oh, well, you sort of are, but just be aware there's a really narrow bit of coast path just down, like just down the way. Don't look down, just be really careful. So we're sauntering along and we come around this bend and we see what they're talking about. And this path is narrow. And all along, we'd been joking and chatting and taking pictures and just generally thriving. However, now this was about survival. And quite quickly, the joking stopped and the chatting stopped. And you watched every step you took because if you slipped, there was hundreds of feet of space where you were just gonna be dashed on the rocks below. And for those minutes, it wasn't about thriving. It was about survival and trying not to die, which is quite a big feat for someone like me who falls down a curb on a regular basis. But I think in our day-to-day -day lives and honestly in the current climate as well, we're often walking emotionally, physically, spiritually, near the edge of the proverbial cliff. And at the edge, our world becomes smaller, our emotions become heightened, we become more stressed, we can bleed on people who didn't cut us, we become more agitated and impatient, we can send off snarky emails in the middle of the night, we can lose rationality and just at the end of the day often develop compassion fatigue. Taking a step back from the edge of the cliff is to give yourself margin. And when we have margin, we have space to embrace the interruption of those who are hurt. John Mark Comer describes margin as the space between our load and our limit. And the edge is just, is not a place, is a place to visit, not a place to live. So practically then, what does it look like? What, in recent years, there's been, a, um, in psychology, there's been an understanding of emotional intelligence. But if we look back way over hundreds and thousands of years, the monks and the nuns and the contemplative orders are rich with this understanding, drawn from the scriptures, drawn from time spent in prayer and in, with lives that lived in solidarity with suffering. So firstly, number one, self-reflection. Recognize when an emotion rises up in you in response to something you hear or you see or is said to you. Ask Jesus, what is this feeling? Why is it there? And then be really curious about it. We aren't our feelings, but they are a roadmap and a road sign that tell us something. Sit with Jesus, talking to him like a friend would talk to a friend until you can name it. Because you may be feeling an emotion of sadness, for example, but what's behind the sadness? Is it actually disappointment, embarrassment? Is it isolation, loneliness? Do you feel abandoned? Is it actually humiliation? Dig into it until you can name it, because I promise you that that is where Jesus is and that's where the unmet hurt is. Number two, self-regulation. When we feel painful emotions and we hear and see painful stories and moments in others, we naturally and humanly want to get rid of them as quickly as possible because they're uncomfortable. But we'll do that in three ways. Sometimes we'll just release them onto others, could be through an outburst, or we'll brush over it with a platitude like, don't worry, it'll be okay. Or we'll just try to silver line it like, well, at least you still have this or you have that. Equally, we may numb them, not allow ourselves to really hear what is being told and shared with us in a moment. And therefore we're not present in that moment with someone. 
or we can take all of that and we can internalize that pain that we hear and it sits within our bodies often brewing as anxiety or negative self-talk which over time leads to compassion fatigue and often mental health challenges. So if self-reflection acknowledges what is truly going on under the surface, that leads to self-regulation because we know our stuff. It says, I'm not governed by my feelings, my past hurts, my traumas. I see them, I embrace them, and I own them as part of who I am, but I act from a place of love. And when we move to action from a more objective, rational space rather than reactive, we actually then start to move from a place of authentic love as wounded healers. You've heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. It's true sometimes of ourselves, but also of others. And if we get close enough to those who are in pain, at some point we may well be hurt by decisions that are made, things that are said, especially when people have been experiencing trauma. The invitation to us from Jesus is to stay rooted in his love, to recognize what is our stuff and what isn't, but also to be able to hold space for what isn't. Where we aren't pulled to and fro from our emotions and feelings, but there's a deep choice to acknowledge and to move from a deeper place. And then finally, empathy. To be able to feel with people is one of the biggest gifts we can give and offer a hurting world. And as we go through our internal process with the Lord, it'll lead to empathy, that we recognize within ourselves a similar pain and we can be with people as we would have wanted others to be with us. For example, I may not know the grief of a divorce, but I have known rejection. And as I'm with someone who is facing that pain, I can tap into my own understanding of re what rejection is, knowing that I'll never know it the way that they do, but I can still be an empathic presence and support for them. And as a stance, choose to believe that people are just trying their best. They're doing the best they can with the knowledge, the life experience and journey, even if it looks to you like they aren't. It's an easier way to live and it's to live with grace. And if we can go on the journey of being committed to understanding ourselves in the light and presence of Jesus, we'll move out into the world from a different space. We won't be so quick to judge, be able to recognize our own limitations and flaws, be uncomfortable with the unknowns and be able to hold space for people with a kindness we begin to hold for ourselves. Because Jesus isn't a bully, he isn't unkind. Many of us struggle with an inner critic and bully who beats us up all the time with, why did you do that? Why haven't you done this? Why can't you be more, dot, dot, dot. The contemplative path invites us to allow Jesus to be that voice, to recognize his voice quicker than our own, to know the nudge of the spirit in the day-to-day -day of our lives. And Jesus once said, love your neighbor as yourself. Hard to love our neighbors when we don't love ourselves. And over time, we become more and more united with the one who is love. Teresa of Avila was an, an old ancient century nun, um, not holed up in her monastery, but living and loving and serving through the horror of the Spanish Inquisition. In her beautiful work, The Interior Castle, we're taken on a journey of becoming one with the one who made us. And in doing so, and allowing Jesus to speak into it, we can show up in the world as our more authentic selves able to love sacrificially, deeply, with a longevity from a place of kindness to ourselves, knowing that we aren't the hero or the fixer, and also knowing that we have wounds that sometimes might not be healed, but we recognize we're on a healing journey, and we're actively guarding our own hearts, not ignoring our shadow sides, but bringing the hurts and the pains, hidden unconscious motivations into the light so that they won't impact on others. Or if they do, 
will be able to apologise quickly. This morning, I want to invite you this week just to take stock, find some space if you can, a walk, a bath. You may need to get up an hour earlier, which I get is hard for some of you at the moment, but just find space somewhere. One of my favorite old monks is a Carmelite monk called Brother Lawrence. And in his book, Practicing the Presence of God, uh, it was while he was washing up, he had these profound encounters with God. So just to sum up then, just three Ps of contemplation for a life of love. Number one, prevention. Contemplation allows us to stop before the edge, to acknowledge what our own bodies, mind and souls need before it's too late, which means that we can be a consistent and accessible to those around us. It'll enable us to live with margin. And for some of you this morning, what you may need is a rest. Love is not true love if we're running on empty and from a place of obligation, exhaustion and criticism. Number two, perspective. It also allows us perspective to rebalance the seesaw, not to duck out and pull our covers over the head and just ignore what's going on around us. But as the, the, proverb, the writer of Proverbs says, is to take careful watch of our paths. You know, some of us have been avoiding doing something because in our own strength, we just don't feel we can. Or maybe there's a fear there. But sit with it with Jesus and discover if that actually is the case with him. And therefore, what needs to happen to redress that balance and then walk in the action that he's inviting to you? There's nothing like worshipping for a change of perspective. And then thirdly, pain healing. Contemplation allows us to be kind to ourselves, to recognise where we might need some external help from a trusted friend or a doctor or a counsellor, because always in it, his voice is excessively kind. There is freedom to be found in this place. And as we acknowledge our own need for healing, we become more emotionally responsive to those around us. We live in a hurting world. Pain is all around us if we are brave enough to step into those spaces. It's not the easy thing, it's not the comfortable thing, but as we wrestle with the uncomfortableness in ourselves, we'll be able to be more present with people. And in doing so, we get to show up into the world into the pain of the world with a humility and empathy, compassion that we can be in solidarity with rather than turn away from. And here we can just lean in, find God there. And as we do so, just create safe spaces for others to belong, have hope and find freedom of their own. By being with the one who is love and inviting him to work his love through all the nooks and crannies of our conscious and subconscious beings, like yeast worked into flour, we can become bread to a hurting world.